You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Comedy podcast looking back at This Week in History. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. You can find us and or message us over on Facebook and Instagram using TWWWBLY. to Twibbly, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. My name is Bill with one L. With me, some people call him Maurice. <laughs> but his name is actually Jeff McLarge. I think they call me Mo for short. Mo. <laughs> That's when they do it short. It, it doesn't have the wink wink or just wink wink. Dicky Mo. Dicky Mo. So. Hey, so yesterday was Easter. It was. And we kind, yeah, we kind of alluded to this last week, and I was like, "Oh, I got to tell this story for the show." So back in two thousand and two, I think it was, I miraculously somehow got a job working at a mall as an Easter bunny. Two of my friends were like the girls that took care of the pictures and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and then uh, like another friend is the one that actually like ran the booth. So they're like, "Hey, you want to be the Easter bunny?" like no not at all but i i did it it was easy money yeah you know you just kind of sit there right i had this like you know this big monstrosity of a head that you have to wear right all you're doing is just like it's like living in an attic almost you know because it's just like your head with Mm -hmm. like no ventilation coming in or out right it's just like all this like carbon dioxide trapped in there and i would get home at the end of the night (laughs) and i'd be like exhausted i'm like why am i so tired i didn't do anything i just sat there it's because you know i'm not getting any oxygen right so i'm a bike rider so i got one of those camelbacks there you know with the water right yep so i figured that i would just like sip water all night and i would get oxygen in my system that way and i wouldn't be so tired it's good that you're part frog, because that's how frogs get oxygen, Bill. Yeah. <laughs> it was either that or sit in a bathtub. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> but the only problem was, is like getting the straw thing into your mouth, you have to like reach into the head to manipulate it, because you can't just grab at your mouth, right? you know, because it's a, a big dummy head. So it would pop out of my mouth every once in a while. And I'd have to wait till there's no customers to get up in there. Yeah. So I had just gotten it back in after a long wait. I had just got it back in. This little kid comes over, sits down on my lap, and as he sits down on my lap, it pops out of my mouth. Now, I don't have a deep voice, but it's deep enough. You know, I don't have a high-pitched voice either. It pops out of my mouth, and this echo from inside the head, all you hear is, (laughs) Oh, off. Uh, there's a movie in there somewhere, I think, called Bad Easter yep. Bunny. Yeah, and, but th- thankfully nobody heard it, but it was really loud to me, you know? <laughs> oh, that's funny. When I was, uh, I've only been to see the Easter Bunny at the mall once, and I think I was, f- I want to say I was four. Uh-huh. And when I sat on the Easter Bunny's lap and looked up, I could see into the head mask, and it was just, it was like springs. That's what I remember from when I was little. So I don't know if there was like a like a crown that sat on the guy, whoever was playing the Easter Bunny's head with springs that kept the head from lolling around 
It scared the bejesus out of me. And I was like, the Easter Bunny's head's full of springs. Ah! And, then, <laughs> and then I never wanted to see the Easter Bunny again after that. Uh, oh almost God. as funny as the story is, I think one year later, yeah. I ate so much candy at my aunt's house that I projectile vomited all over the back of my dad's Pontiac on the way home from an Easter party. And then we oh. were never given Easter candy again. <laughs> I, have, I have a similar story with that with Christmas and Hershey's Kisses, but we'll save that for the Christmas episode. Uh, another thing that happened when I was the Easter Bunny is I could see these three ne'er-do-wells come walking in. One was dressed up as an evil bunny. The other one was like a giant mallard. And I forgot what the third character was. But they were like evil-looking furries. And one of them had like a club. like a, Not like a baseball bat, but like a club. Right. And I don't know what they were there for. They weren't in there to make nice-nice. I think they were coming in to kick my ass. Right? <laughs> Get them! So, yeah, and, like, they got jumped by security before they got to me, and I just – they were coming up the ramp, like, pushing kids out of the way, right, you know? Right. And I just remember them, like, getting walked by me. Well, like, it looked really comical, these, like, furries with their heads down, like they're, like, kids that are getting punished, you know? Uh-huh. But, like, I had stood up when I saw them coming for me because I just thought to myself, I'm going to go down swinging. I'm going <laughs> to, these kids are going to witness the greatest moment of their life. They just don't realize it yet right. because, I mean, I'm not a tough guy. I, I, I couldn't kick my own ass, right. but I just thought it would be amazing to make this, the, the newspaper the next day with the headline, Easter Bunny gets his cotton tail handed to him. <laughs> yeah, I never found out what they were there. F- I never found out what they were there for, but it didn't look like they were in there, you know, to make friends. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's fine. I wonder if that sort of thing happens to Santa. All of a sudden, there's a bunch of elves. Like, oh, here we go. You know, he's on the throne and he's looking out, and it's like, oh, here they come, like a whole bunch of elves. Just this like evil Santa coming, like skulking through the mall, grinding his fist into his palm. Right, it's going down, Kringle. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Before we get down to business with the show proper, I do have my very popular and always well-received trivia question. You are not. Capital N-O-T, not getting this one. Well, I haven't got a lot of them in a row, so I'm I'm on a streak, Bill. Yeah. One in a row. Not so, in a row, uh, are you familiar with the comic strip Blondie? Uh, I am familiar with the comic strip Blondie. Blondie is married to Dagwood Bumstead. She is indeed. But when the comic strip first started, she was single. She was like a flapper girl. Matter of fact, she didn't marry Dagwood until about three or four years into the run. What is Blondie's maiden name? Oh, man. I wish I would have paid attention at that weird part of Universal Studios. (laughs) I'm sure the answer was in there somewhere. It was in the Mary Worth ride. (laughs) <laughs> All right, but this is going to be the week beginning April the 18th, and I believe it is your turn to start this oh, week. Oh, well, that's good. Hey, Bill, how do you like minimum effort? I'm all about it. I do it every day at my job. <laughs> well, imagine... Unless, of course, my boss is listening, then I don't know what you're talking about. In which case, I am maximum effort with one L. I, I get that. Well, in April 18th of 1930, on the BBC Radio News, a news announcer announced that... <laughs> There's no news. And just started playing music. (laughs) Imagine how awesome that would be if you turned on, like, in the 24-hour news cycle that we all are inundated with now. You turn on, I don't know, pick a channel, MSNBC or Fox or something, and the host is like, 
Hey, um, I don't, there's nothing going on really. Like, how, how are you? What's, yeah. what's going on with you, buddy? You know, I know you can't talk to me cause you're, you're separated by thousands of miles and a satellite maybe, but you know, why don't you talk to the people that you're in the same room with and just turn this <laughs> off? You know, here's some music. <laughs> I know the way the news cycle works and all that stuff, like as soon as it happens, you know about it. If somebody came on and was like, yep, there's a uh, nothing to talk about today. I would do a litany of super embarrassing things just to have that, just to have that happen one day, you know, just, oh, yep, nothing going on. It, there are a ton of examples, I guess, of times where the 24 hour news cycle has been its own worst enemy where it's like, we're waiting for so-and-so to speak. So they've been waiting for an hour looking at a podium and it's like, well, when is so-and-so going to come out and speak? Well, so-and-so was supposed to come out and speak 45 minutes ago, but there seems to be a delay. Yeah. You think? You think that you think there's a delay? It's 45 minutes after they were supposed to speak. And it's like, well, when do you think so and so will come out to speak? Well, we're not really sure. We're waiting for word, but we know that so and so was supposed to speak 45 minutes ago. Like, really? That's our 24 hour news cycle. Like, I'd rather watch a commercial for medicine that I can't take because I'm like too young or too old or I don't have the right body parts. I'd like to see the two news people talking to each other, like. Yeah, well, they're not at the podium yet. How have you been? <laughs> right, exactly. So, uh, hey, did you see somebody ate Bob's ham sandwich in the in the company fridge? You know, <laughs> I wonder who that could be. You've got uh, mustard on your tie there, Bob. Do I? Oh, Shazbot. Oh, my God. Have you tried the potato salad? It's so good. And I like to watch news bloopers. I spend a unnecessarily large amount of time on YouTube watching newscasters mess stuff up. I don't know why that's yeah. funny, but it's always funny. Right. And seeing a newscaster who just sort of throws in the towel is like, you know what? There's nothing to report. <laughs> Here's some piano. And that's it. Like for the next 15 minutes, you got Moonlight Sonata. All right. Moving on to April the 19th. April the 19th, 1987. The animated Simpson family gets their start as a series of 48 one-minute animated shorts as a part of the Tracy Ullman show. I remember that. I remember that. I remember them on the show. Tracy Ullman Uh, show was like a funny variety sketch show. Yes. And she's uh, she's like a British comedian. She was really funny. I don't know what she's doing now. Inevitably, this will be where Bill and I go, hold, please. And we go look at IMDb and realize she's been in 5,000 things that we've seen since 1987. Yeah, she's been in a whole bunch of stuff. All kinds of TV. Uh, yeah, yeah. She's uh, she hasn't gone to bed, so to speak. Yeah, she's a regular on Curb Your Enthusiasm. And she actually had another Tracy Ullman show in 2016 through 18. Wow. Yeah. Jeez, I didn't even. What was what? What did that air on? Uh, it was on HBO actually. Oh. Well, all right. And uh, another reason for not seeing it: it used to air at midnight. So. <laughs> well, if you're watching HBO at midnight, you must not have Cinemax. We all know that Cinemax <laughs> at midnight is where to be. Talking about The Simpsons. <laughs> Remember that. I do. Yes, The Simpsons. Yep. Apparently, Matt Groening modeled Bart after his older brother. <laughs> um, he has a, his older brother's name was Mark, but he named the character Bart as an anagram for brat. <laughs> ah, nice. If I remember the story about how he ended up doing these animated shorts correctly, he had been asked to come in and pitch Life is Hell, which was his long-running alternative newspaper comic. Yes, I remember that. With the, the bunnies with one ear. Right, yeah. And he, when he was sitting in the waiting room for to go in and talk with the producers of the Tracy Ullman show, he just sketched out the family yep. and went in and was like, no, this is uh, Homer and uh, his wife, Marge, and uh, this is their kid, Brat, uh, Bart, and uh, this is Lisa. And they're like a family that has, and they're like, good, done. 
we don't have to pay for the intellectual property of life and hell. We can just buy this. Oh, wow, yeah. I, it's so hard to get your head around the fact that that show is still on the air. I, yeah, As I know. of this recording. I haven't watched it in a long, long time, but every once in a while I'll go back and I'll watch it. I'm like, God damn it, this is still funny. How do they do it? You know, they've had so many good writers come in and out of that writing room. You know, I haven't watched it in a long time either, but it's not The Simpsons' fault. It's just I don't watch a lot of TV. I don't watch TV pretty much at all anymore. So I I don't know if it's funny now. I'm sure it still is, and I'm sure that the type of comedy that they do has evolved some from what they were doing. Like, I remember you almost killing me at the Dartmouth Mall with the whole... Is Marge home? Is Marge there, please? <laughs> this is Marge's sister, isn't it? It's Marge home. And that was like literally the Christmas special that started off the series. And right, 1989. 1989, right? And I'm sure now that they're doing stuff that's more topical and more funny, and there are certainly episodes that stand out above all, but I'm not somebody who just like goes, ah, they used to be way better before, because I haven't watched them in years. So, But it really went on to make a big mark. They were the rebirth of animation for adults in the United States. They've been around... Literally, as long as you and I have been out of high school. Think about that. That is hard to get your head around. There are many people that I know that don't know what life was before The Simpsons, which is also crazy to think about. And then, you know, The Simpsons opening up a door for just a lot of primetime animation shows. You know, with no Simpsons, no Family Guy, no Family Guy. No American Dad, right. no Bob's Burgers, right? All of no, that. no Futurama, and there were a whole bunch of like false starts that came after too. Like, remember there was a spinoff called The Critic that ran for like two seasons, and that died off with John yes. Lovitz. There was yep. Fish Police. There were a couple of other ones that I, that came and went in like the, a matter of weeks. All right, moving along to the twentieth. What do you got? I've got April twentieth, nineteen twelve. Fenway Park officially opens, and. In that inaugural night, the Boston Red Sox beat the New York Highlanders 7-6 in 11 innings. At least they won. Usually it's one of those things where it's like, whenever there's always like some sort of monumental opening or anniversary, the home team always loses. It's really embarrassing. It generally is sort of weirdly like that. I'm sure at that time, uh, because it's 1912, there were not enough parking spaces for the seven cars that were existing in Boston at the time. And it cost $8 to park them. And if you wanted to go get a hot dog and a beer, it was like the equivalent of like $79 in current money. But it's Fenway. It's a fun place to go. Yeah, I've been there a number of times. I've never seen a baseball game in my life. Not, I mean, I'm not putting down anybody's anything. I just, it's not for me. Yeah. But I had the opportunity of working there several times. Uh, I worked for a haunted house company that built like three or four houses within... Fenway Park. Nice. It was called Fear It. Yeah, it was called Fear It Fenway, and we all got to you know just hang out there and be on the outfield. We couldn't step on the grass, but right. I stole a bunch of dirt and I <laughs> gave it to my friends as as yep. presents. Yeah, yeah. I've been there a few times for baseball games. When I used to work with little kids, we would go every summer. The whole group of us would go. I have never been in such a fantastic torrential rainstorm as I was <laughs> in the uh, multiple over inning or. Extra inning game between the Sox and the Texas Rangers, where ultimately the the Sox lost uh, seven to six. It's like that but, scene uh, from Caddyshack. It, I don't it, think the heavy stuff's going to come down until much later. It was worse than that. It was raining so hard, I thought fish were going to start falling out of the sky. It was awesome. <laughs> it was the most fantastic rain I have ever been in, and I was trying to like shepherd kids to a bus. I'm like, leave them behind. We'll never see him again. He's gone down the storm drain. It was insane. And then I went there to see a Sox Yankees game in like. 
2010 or so and got to watch all the Yankee fans to get into fights and get ejected from uh, from Fenway. It was super funny. Have you ever seen a concert there? No, I haven't. Yeah, I saw the police there. That was interesting because where we were sitting was really bad seats for a concert but really good seats for a baseball game. We were right behind home plate. Right. They've been yeah. doing they've been doing shows there for like I don't know like 15 or 16 years, but before that, it was just it was just Fenway Park for baseball. Oh yeah. Now they do all kinds of things oh, there. And those seats are not accommodating, let me tell you. I had a stroke and I can't feel my ankles. Yeah, that, they are not comfortable. They're not comfortable and they're I mean, I'm not a big dude. But imagine if you were a big dude trying to fit into those seats. I'm not a big dude, and I sit in those, and I'm like, oh, my God. Is there, like, a plastic tray that's supposed to go over the foot? It's, like it's like a high chair. Booster seat at Applebee's. <laughs> Without their mozzarella sticks. All right. Well, they do have mozzarella sticks, but they're about $25 for four. <laughs> a piece. <laughs> yeah, each. All right. Moving on to the 21st. Oh, goodness. This is like a limp dick on prom night right here. Are you ready for this? Yes. April the 21st, 1986. Geraldo Rivera is broadcast live opening Al Capone's secret underground vault. Oh, I remember this. It was two hours long, this yeah. special. It's just talking and talking and talking. And let's go to the commercial. And oh, we're going to be opening it up. Two hours. I watched that whole yeah, thing. Me too. And, I, and it's like, okay, we're almost through. We're almost through. We're almost through. They open up the vault and all they found was like a note with illegible writing on it and like two empty booze bottles. Yeah, two empty yeah. two empty bottles of what should have been bathtub gin. It was nothing. I remember Geraldo saying like, we don't know what's behind this door. And the guys are looking at the door behind him like there's all this stuff going on in the background. None of yep. it means anything because all they have to do is like is use bolt cutters to cut one bolt and they can pull the door open. But they drag this stupid thing out. And he's like, there could be a fully intact Model T. There could be millions upon millions of dollars. And <laughs> I sat there just in rapt attention until ultimately it was nothing. Yeah, they made it sound like they're going to open the door and like Jimmy Hoffer and D.B. Cooper would be in there playing cards or something. <laughs> nope. It was just a dusty something. And then right. to add insult to injury, it was I, it was less than a year later that he opened up that safe that they pulled out of the Andrea Doria. Do you remember that? No. And that was another two hours of Geraldo Rivera saying, like, we don't know what could be in these safes. It's a boat that sank in the Atlantic, so I'm going to guess a lot of salt water and mud. Yeah, and a fish. And, yeah. And, that, and that's what it was. There wasn't even a clam in that. It was so silly. It makes me long for the, for the simplicity of the 1930s. Where the yeah, Geraldo should have just said, you know what? There's nothing in here. And then music for the next 15 minutes. For the next, for the next two starts. hours, right. <laughs> What's the, the worst part about this whole story? Well, not the worst part, but one of the worst parts about this whole story is it received the highest ratings in syndicated TV history for that time. Right. And it had 30 million people watching. 30 million people went to bed so pissed off that night. I'm quite sure that... Geraldo getting hit in the face with the chair had something to do with this. <laughs> it may very well have. And I think that that contributes to, like, in a small way at least, the real beginnings of people being skeptical of the media and that the media is trying to, like, keep the sensationalism of whatever mundane horse manure they're selling you. Yeah. So that when important things come up, it's easy enough to go like, ah, you know what? I'm not going to waste two hours of my time watching the Andrea Doria's safes. I did because I'm dumb, but and that's you know. the thing too is I don't know about you, but I have way less free time than they promised me. <laughs> yeah, yes, and so, I, and I have a much shorter attention span 
than most cocker spaniels. Yeah. Dude, if there's nothing in the vault, I need to know in 30 seconds because I'm changing the channel. <laughs> yeah. Two hours now of my life is gold. Please don't waste it with two empty bathtub gin bottles, right? <laughs> All right. Next up, what do we got? April 22nd, 1994, the very first left-handed heavyweight champion of the world wins the IBF and the WBA belts. That's Michael Moore, who... The filmmaker? <laughs> who beats Evander Holyfeld in a decision after 12 rounds. Uh, I'm going to guess that it's not Michael Moore, the filmmaker, because he doesn't look like he put a much of a fight. It is indeed. It is not Michael Moore, the filmmaker. It is yeah. Michael Moorer. Oh, he's Moorer than he's Mr. Michael Moore. Moore. Okay. on his last name <laughs> than Michael Moore does. There's Moorer of him. So wait, he was the first left-handed heavyweight champion? Yeah, and not Southpaw. Not somebody who's a right-hander who boxes lefty. He's a true lefty. Okay, so what year? 1994. And all the boxing that we've talked about wow. that goes all the way back to like 1750. Yeah. Nobody fought left. Now, there may have been left-handed fighters that fought and did well and won championships. But again, it might have been before those rating agencies started. Okay. And yet, I was to say, wasn't Rocky Balboa a left-hander? Right. Yeah, he's also a fictional character, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I, I understand that. <laughs> so he didn't, didn't really win anything. I watched this fight on HBO or Showtime. I think it was HBO. Yeah. And Evander Holyfield, who was a really good technical boxer, but not a knockout guy, put yeah. Michael Moore down on the canvas in like the second or third round. And it didn't look like he was going to get up. He managed to make the standing eight count and then yeah. fought the whole rest of the fight and just beat the shit out of Evander Holyfield and oh, took wow. it. It took it all away. Like generally a knockdown like that, unless you really went on points, you're toast. He was able to go back and beat it. He held the title for a while. He lost, I think, two fights later and then picked it up again, fighting a German guy and then lost it again. And then, you know, he fought George Foreman and lost to George Foreman. George Foreman, like, busted his face open and knocked him out. And I think Foreman was, like, 48 years old and just ma mashed his face up. Yeah, Foreman is – I don't think we're ever going to see another another George Foreman. That guy was no, I don't either. incredible to be boxing at that age. That guy was something else. I hope they – I mean, I know he, he has, like, a thousand clones now of all named George. <laughs> But they should seriously take some of his DNA and just try and figure out what made him as, like, legendarily strong as That's he is. all those low-fat hamburgers, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, it must be. It's the, it's the way that it drains the grease. It cooks them on an angle, Bill. Yeah. All right. So my last day that I talked about was a colossal blunder in 1986. But just one year prior, <laughs> April 23rd, 1985, possibly the biggest blunder or at least most publicized huge blunder of all time, Coca-Cola introduces new Coke. I remember that. I mean, I, I'm almost positive that we've talked about this before, but it's one of those things that maybe we have, maybe we haven't. It's so ubiquitous in American culture that Coca-Cola, the staple, this, I mean, everybody loves Coke. Like, that's America. Coca-Cola is America as far as, you know, as we're, as we're concerned. It's overly sweet. It's bubbly. It makes yep. your teeth feel sticky when you drink it. It doesn't quench your thirst. It's not good yep. for you. It gives you diabetes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Everything you need in a soft drink. All right, um, perfect. Perfect accompaniment. Right. But like Coca-Cola, it's not like they were struggling for cash. They were the number one soft drink. They always have been for as long as they've kept track of such things. Right. And then the common myth is that they changed their recipe to make it taste more like Pepsi because Pepsi was doing the Pepsi challenge, yada, yada, yada. Right, but right. that is a, a common myth and it's not true. 
Actually, what was happening was a couple of years prior to that, Coke had introduced Diet Coke and Diet Coke was selling very, very well. And a lot of people were saying that they actually preferred the taste of Diet Coke over regular Coke. So the new Coke was to mimic the taste of Diet Coke, if not Pepsi. Yeah, and it's funny because like Coca-Cola had Tab, which was another diet beverage. Yeah, but that tasted like you were licking a dandelion stem. It did taste like you were licking a dandelion stem, but it, in in my mind, the only thing that made Diet Coke taste good was that it tasted better than Tab. <laughs> Honest to God, I think that that was it. People were like, do you prefer the taste of Diet Coke or Tab? It's like, Diet Coke. Do you prefer the taste of Coke or Diet Coke? Well, I'm trying to cut down weight, so I, I only drink Diet Coke. People must really love this Diet Coke stuff. Let's add whatever, more sugar, less sugar, more corn syrup, less corn syrup. Add more genie pieces. Say more magic words over the vat to make regular Coke taste like Diet Coke and we'll change the name of it. That should have been Diet Coke's pitch. It's it's a Diet Coke. It doesn't taste like you're licking a dirty Q-tip. <laughs> Diet Coke. Look, have you tried Moxie? <laughs> so uh, new Coke lasted, oh, I don't know. Was it 10, 15 minutes, something like that? And then Coca-Cola <laughs> brought back the original recipe, calling it Coca-Cola Classic. And then they were both available for a little while. And then New Coke was like phased out. And then the Coca-Cola Classic just became regular Coke once again. They brought back, quote unquote, New Coke, I think in the 90s for like a maybe about a six to eight month run. They were calling it Coke 2. And it wasn't available in all markets, but it was around. I think that the whole like new Coke versus what would become Coke Classic thing was it fully made up and amplified by like the news media. I don't think anybody would have given a rat's ass either way. I seriously don't. I'd be like the it's like the, the, there would have been a slight difference in the taste of the french fries at McDonald's. After two times you eat the fries, you'll be like, I don't, these don't taste that. Whatever, these French fries. Yeah, if Coke changed their recipe and didn't tell anybody, people would have been like, hey, eh, whatever. Yeah, whatever. It says, man, must, must have got a weird batch. And that's literally it. That's all it would have been. But they made so much advertising out of it with Bill Cosby, remember? Yeah. And I never trusted him again after that. <laughs> and then I guess the backlash of all the continuous advertisement was like, people were like, yes. Yeah, this isn't that great. And then it's it's fun to pile on stuff like that. And then yep. thank God there was no social media then. Oh, oh, for sure. And, you know, Coca-Cola ultimately lost millions of dollars because of this blunder. But they never dropped out of the number one spot. Take that, Pepsi. Well, I mean, you can make the argument that Pepsi's slogan is, is Pepsi okay? Because <laughs> that's, that's what people ask you yep. if you order at a Pepsi serving restaurant. Yep. So And then Pepsi just turned around and bought the world you know, because right. they may not be the number one selling soft drink. At one time, they owned like Taco Bell, Pizza Hut, KFC, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They've branched off now, but at one time, they owned those, yeah. All right, let's wrap up the week. What do you got? April 24th, 1986. Amazingly popular film Crocodile Dundee starring Paul Hogan and uh, Linda Kozlowski, who ultimately married Paul Hogan not long after the first or second film came out. Premieres in Australia, and it becomes the highest grossing film of the year in the United States. And what's funny about it is that movie doesn't really have, like, longevity. Like, a couple of really big movies that came out in 1986, if you say to a more modern generation, like, hey, you've seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off, right? Yeah, of course. You say Crocodile Dundee, they're like, uh, I don't know. It didn't really have a lot of longevity. It didn't. It was weird because it treated, like, a blonde-haired white dude as an exotic creature. <laughs> I think that might have uh, hampered its ability to have longevity. Yeah. In the 80s, they had the, there was a lot of like romanticizing about Australia for some reason. Yeah. 
Like, remember yeah. the Duracell commercials with the weird Australian guy? Yeah, I, I, I do indeed, the rugby player. Yeah. And I don't know why all of a sudden it became like a thing. It's not like Australia is like another planet. Olivia Newton-John is Australian. Right. We knew her from Greece and multiple gold records. And worst song ever, alumni, yeah. Among other famous uh, musicians uh, and, and actors and actresses, even the Young family from ACDC fame. The Youngs They're are all from Australia. The Youngs are from Scotland. Yes, from Scotland, but their band started yeah. in Australia. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, you know what I mean? Yeah, the Bee Gees... Uh, in excess, yeah, they're all yeah, all Australian yeah, bands, all Australians, right? So for them to be like, "Crikey, look at this exotic man!" It's like, well, he's not going to have any problems going anywhere because he looks like everybody else here in the United States. So he's wearing like a crocodile vest. That's what makes him special. I went back and I watched Crocodile Dundee two not that long ago, maybe a year ago. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. It was, it was on one of the streaming services. And I was like, oh, okay, well, strap me in. I haven't seen this since it was in the cinema. And that movie is awful. It's not funny at all. It's just, I mean, think about this. Like, that was 1986. Think about this series of words in 2022. Australian chic. (laughs) Right. I have known a couple of girls that were born in Australia. And, you know, they live in the States now. And all of them stifle their accent. Like, they don't want to, like, talk Australian. I was like, oh, why? And it's like, then... You hear it and you're like, oh, oh, that's why. That Australian accent's not really all that sexy. I don't know about you, dude. Like, Australia, it looks like the weather's nice and all that, but I am terrified of everything that's indigenous <laughs> to Australia. Yeah. Freaking great white sharks, terrifying. Kangaroos, yep. rattlesnakes. Terrifying, terrifying. Giant spiders, yeah. Wallabies. Freaking, like, yep. Australian dudes. Yeah, I'm all done. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm terrified of everything. When I lived in England, I was at a bar in Littlehampton, and there was a table full of Australians and a bunch of really unhappy-looking British people who were arguing back and forth. Mm-hmm. The Australians were visiting. One of the groups said to the other, so I might be the, the son of a convict, but at least I'm not a prisoner of, of Mother England, a P-O-M-E. And as soon as he said that, one dude just picked up a chair and smashed the other dude <laughs> over the head, and it was like fists flying everywhere. And like... The three of us who were in the public grabbed our beer and ran outside and were standing outside drinking beer as this, like, 1930s stagecoach western bar fight is taking place inside between a bunch of British dudes and a bunch of Australian guys. And until the cops got there, it was wicked funny. Oh, my God. Did anybody go flying through the picture window? There was no picture window to go flying through, or they would have. But people were, like, trying to get out, and you see, like, a, like a guy's running out the door, and a hand grabs the back of his thing and just drags him back inside like, like a cartoon. It was crazy time. Uh-huh. It was super funny. That's wicked funny. All right, moving on to the celebrity birthdays. April the 18th, 1953, Canadian comedian Rick Moranis, who everybody knows and loves. I don't even have to tell you the things he was in, like Ghostbusters, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, he was definitely in a ton of stuff. He was in uh, Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah. One of my favorite uh, weird musicals, so. Yeah, he dropped out of the business in the 90s somewhere. His wife was sick with uh, with cancer, I believe, and he decided to drop out of the business to take care of her and, and bring up his kids. And then he just uh, like never came back. And people are like, oh, why doesn't he make movies anymore? It's like, because the guy's got like $10 million. He doesn't need to make movies. Right. Some people just want to live their life. I wouldn't be making movies if I had $10 million. In fact, I wouldn't be doing anything. Yeah. You know what I'd be doing? Other stuff. Yeah. Stuff that was more fun. Sorry, Bill. Can't do the podcast this week. I have $10 million. Exactly. 
Like, uh, I'm going to hire somebody to be me. <laughs> All right. Who do we got for the 19th? April 19th, 1981. Dark Lord of the Sith, ultimately. Hayden Christensen, who took on the role of uh, Anakin Skywalker starting in the second of the prequel films and carried it through to its logical conclusion where he lost the high ground and ultimately his arms and legs to Obi-Wan Kenobi in Revenge of the Sith. Good actor. He is. Underutilized. I was just about to say that a lot of people, you know, they make jokes calling him like Mannequin Skywalker, but Hayden Christensen is actually a really, really good actor. I watched him in another movie called, I think it was called Awake, where he was put under anesthesia and it numbed his body, but his, his mind was still awake and he could hear everybody still talking in the room and stuff. It was a really interesting movie, yeah. Yeah, he's rumored to have a role in the upcoming Obi-Wan Kenobi miniseries that they're doing on Disney+, Plus, right? Yep. As somebody who doesn't generally go seek out entertainment, I'll actually go and look for that, because I liked his portrayal of Anakin Skywalker. I thought he carried the weight of the, the transition of the dark side really, really well, and I really liked Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan, so... All right, on the 20th, 1959... <laughs> Oddly enough, I was going to say that he is Ron Howard's ugly brother, but as time goes on, Clint Howard, you know him as Ron Howard's better-looking brother. (laughs) Yeah, he got to start uh, as a child actor. He was in an episode of classic Star Trek. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. As like a little little kid. Yep. Um, Clint Howard, to me, is my favorite part of the uh, movie Rock and Roll High School starring the Ramones. I saw him when we did our virtual movie nights last year in a horror movie called The Ice Cream Man. Remember that one? Yes, that movie was terrible. Yeah, of course it was. And that's the point. And he's also uh, got small roles in the Austin Power films. He does. Yeah, he's one of the guys like, Dick, look up at the skies. He's one of the, the, for the jokes about all of main parts. Yes, yes, yes. He also gets a cameo in every one of Ron Howard's movies. Here's that nepotism that we like so much. All right, moving on. Uh, April 21st, 1951, Tony Danza makes his appearance uh, on Earth. Wicked cool guy. You may know him from such TV shows as Taxi. Where he played uh, Tony. And are all of his characters named Tony? Uh, not all of them, but a lot of them are, yeah. A lot of them, right? Yeah. Well, it makes it easy to remember, I guess. Yes. But uh, yeah, he seems to be a pretty pretty fun guy. All of his characters are retired sports people doing other careers. <laughs> he was a boxer in Taxi, and he was a retired baseball player on Who's the Boss? And they were both named Tony, yeah. Dude, I had this crazy fever dream one time that I was at a convention in a mostly empty room. And this, like, band walks in. Tony Danza jumps from behind his table, grabs a ukulele, and starts playing Five Foot Two Eyes of Blue. It was the craziest dream I ever had. Except the one thing is, it wasn't a dream. That actually happened to me. Huh. Tony dances over there, five foot two, eyes are blue, has anybody seen my gal? Yeah, crazy. Yeah, I happened to be in there in the room. Like, it was almost nobody else in the room besides us and the band. But it was great. Yeah, yeah, Tony dances. plays ukulele, right? Yeah, he's an accomplished ukulele player. Yeah. Well, it's a good, it's a good thing he wasn't a theremin player because it's hard to play that song on the theremin. Uh, you can't get your hands on one of those these days. <laughs> <laughs> All right, April 27, 1937. All right. <laughs> That's uh, my day. Jack Nicholson. Hey, you son of a bitch. That's oh, my day. yeah, it is your day. April 22nd, 1937, Jack Nicholson. I can't remember any films he was in off the top of my head. Uh, do you don't remember that? Okay, so do you remember that we had an English... Well, I don't know if you had an English teacher at the same time I did, because it was sophomore year in high school, but 
when they shot the film The Witches of Eastwick in Mass, my English teacher at the time was a bit player in that film. And Jack Nicholson is the sort of the antagonist in that film. Yes. Doesn't he get puked on? The teacher got puked on in that scene, didn't he? He did. Yeah. Jack Nicholson, I mean, I, I'm absolutely going to love him the most from The Shining. He was brilliant in The Shining. And also where he got his, I don't know if it was his first movie, but it was like the one that made him a star was One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Uh, he was in a bunch of stuff before that. Oh, though. that's he right. Was he was in, in Little like, Shop of Horrors. Yeah, and he, he yeah. wrote Head. Oh, that's right. Not the monkeys movie. Oh, yeah. that is right. Yeah, he was an Easy Rider. He's been around he for it. Yeah, he's been around. Yeah, yeah, he's been around yeah. for a long time. I think. Oh, one flew over to Cuckoo's Nest was his first Oscar. That's what it was. But either way, the dude's been in a million great movies. He was the Joker in Batman and yep. in The Departed. And all right, moving on. April twenty third, nineteen seventy seven, Massachusetts native John Cena. Big John Bina. <laughs> I think he still shows up and does wrestling stuff. No, he hasn't wrestled in a few years. Okay. I'm not going to say 100% that he's done because nobody's ever 100% done with wrestling. It's like a, when a bad guy dies in, in the Marvel comics. They, they they always come back. They they bring him back. Yeah. He's the rare guy that's that like The Rock who's come out of wrestling but really has the acting chops and the sense of humor and stuff to really make a good run at not making sort of exploitation or like monster pictures and stuff to the point where he's carrying bigger budget franchises like... He was in the that sort of redo of the Suicide Squad, opposite Idris Elba, uh-huh. and he's he's the lead the lead in Peacemaker, which was his character in Suicide Squad that they built that whole show around, right? Because he was so good and funny in Suicide Squad. So guy's got nothing but good acting quality. Yeah, his wrestling matches they used to call it the Five Moves of Doom, where he would always kind of like do the same thing. Like all of his matches were basically the same thing over and over and over again. But man, that guy could cut a promo. Oh, every time he would cut a promo, even though I wasn't really a big fan of his matches, I would always just be like, "God damn, that guy's good." He's pretty funny too, and he he's pretty good at making fun of himself. And he's there's a lot of good self-deprecation in his approach to things. I, I think he's a fun guy to watch, and I look forward to whatever he ends up working in. He's granted more Make a Wish Foundation wishes than like anybody else. And I remember one time we were, my brother and I were watching wrestling and they were talking about John Cena's work with Make-A-Wish. You know, we both said, you know, if I was a celebrity and Make-A-Wish Foundation came and said, hey, somebody wants to meet you, I would be on the next plane out of town to make that wish happen. You know, of course. All right. And then wrapping up the birthdays, uh, <laughs> April 24th, 1934 is one of Shirley MacLaine's many, 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 many birthdays. Ah, Shirley MacLaine. The only actress to be name-checked in any of MC 900 Foot Jesus's records. Yeah. She's kind of like a punchline because she was very vocal about her belief in reincarnation, you know, setting up my joke that I just made like 15 seconds ago. (laughs) Uh, So much so that I am typing in Shirley MacLaine right now because I don't remember her for anything else. She was in Terms of Endearment, which is a, an Oscar winner. Uh, I don't know if she got nominated for that. I think she did. She played Deborah Winger's mother, and that film was like one of those defining roles for older actresses at the time. I think right. she was probably in her 40s. She, that older actresses, I'm saying with air quotes. Right. Um, she was great in that. She made some like mod-type comedies in the 60s and early 1970s and some did some prestige work after Terms of Endearment, too. Yeah, and she was, like, making movies forever. Her first picture was 1955, 
All the way, she's actually got some stuff that's like in pre-production right now. Yeah. It's like, yes. yeah, still, still working. Not like, uh, not like Rick Moranis. She's still going at it and, uh, well into her, into her eighties over here. So is that all she is? Maybe she'll end up co-starring with Clint Howard, Tony Danza, <laughs> Jack Nicholson, or John Cena, or she might end up recording the worst song ever. Okay, Jeff, my turn. I know. So you remember last week how we had a song that we both liked? Yes. That ain't happening this time. (laughs) No, this week we have a song that one of us tolerates and the other person does not like. I do not like this song at all. This song is enigmatic to me. I question how this song came to be. I don't understand. This is a song by Maroon 5 called Moves Like Jagger. my thing all right i come from a band background i was in a band for a quite a few years and mm-hmm. because i'm not too musically talented <laughs> uh at all uh, i generally ended up writing all the words to the songs that we wrote and i can't imagine for the life of me showing up to band practice all excited like hey guys i got new lyrics to that song we've been working on oh yeah what's it about how sexy i dance all right, you need to crumble that up and get the f*** out of here right now. <laughs> I don't know the timeline for this song versus one of our other uh, especials here on the worst song ever, but it's pretty much the same generalized story as the catch-up song, except instead of singing along to Rapper's Delight, he's dancing around like, what he imagines Mick Jagger dances like? I went into the Mick Jagger dancing around rabbit hole for this episode, Bill. Oh my God! Dude, and that's Jagger a thing. dances around like a guy made of pipe cleaners and sweatsuits, either being attacked by ants or having like a spasm because he has brain worms. So I don't know what woman would find moving like Jagger to be seductive or beautiful or sexually attractive or any of those things, other than oh God, this guy's having a stroke. Yeah, no, no, seriously. Like whenever you see, if you saw somebody dancing like Mick Jagger, the first thing is like, oh poor thing. You know, you know, Mick Jagger dances around, he's got that, like, chicken move, you know? And then he's got, like, the, the that high-step thing. For Christ's sakes, you can watch Rolling Stones videos where Charlie Watts is actively making fun of the way that Mick Jagger dances, you know? <laughs> yes. All right, so another thing that I have a problem with this song, besides being lyrically preposterous, is they guest star with Christina Aguilera on this song. Mm-hmm. As yes. a Christina Aguilera song, I don't have an issue with this song. I have an issue with it as a Maroon 5 song. Because Maroon 5 is like a band, and this doesn't sound like music a band makes. This sounds like music a producer makes. I'm glad you brought that up. I'm going to say, like I said, one of us tolerates this song. I'm the one of us that tolerates this song. No, you don't! And this... No, uh, let me explain. Like, this is the point in Marine 5's career where they stop being a band and start being like Adam Levine and producers. Yes. 
I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't add any emotion, good or bad, to that, because I don't like the music before this point all that much, and I don't love it after this point. This song, however, when this song comes on the radio, and lately I've been listening to a lot of, like, sort of standard issue, like, the river-type FM, so, like, bland and kind of boring, it's all over the map, but adult contemporary-type pop radio. Yeah. When this song comes on, I think, oh, it's Maroon 5. And then I go back to whatever the hell I was doing for three minutes and 50 seconds. And then the song is gone. And then it's probably Coldplay or something, which is kind of the same reaction I have. The songs that come after this one, I can't change the radio fast enough to get away from other Maroon 5 singles because they suck so badly. (laughs) This one I can manage. And like the Christina Aguilera parts, they feel like organically they were written for this song. Whereas all the other guest stars, which is as they've gone on, they've got more and more guest stars doing most of the work that are just awful. No, what happens was it was a Christina Aguilera song. And then Adam Levine just like shoves her out of the way and says, wait a second, I dance all sexy. This is my song now. (laughs) Notice another thing about this song is it starts off with whistling. Okay. Anytime, anytime, I'm sure there's exceptions, but for the most part, if there is whistling in a song, you are in for a bad time. (laughs) And look, if you don't believe that a song that starts with whistling is going to lead to a bad song, all you need is just a little patience. You know what I was thinking, Jeff? I was thinking, you know, as time goes on, maybe, maybe sometime soon... There will be good songs with whistles in it. The winds of change are coming, Jeff. <laughs> I went back and I listened to a bunch of his of songs that followed this because I, you know, because that's the sort of thing I will do for you, Bill, for this show. Uh-huh. I listened to Animals, which is a weird serial killer song. One More Night, which is a sappy, sappy love song. Girls Like You featuring Cardi B. In each of the songs that they appear on, like the other one, the uh, Girls Like You, the one where that's another Cardi B song. I don't know. I don't I don't listen to this genre, dude. That's not my bag well, of dope. The lyrics that Adam Levine sings, they get fewer and fewer and fewer in each song. So at some point, it's just going to be like Megan Thee Stallion and Adam Levine, and he's going to go, yep. And and he's going to go, weep. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. They get less good as they go along. And I'll say this. There's a weird inverse to this, though, is musically, if you take the vocal track out of at least the last three or four singles that he's had come out, Mm -hmm. I think the background music is excellent. And I'm like, oh, this is really catchy. It's like, I can move to this. I could play this and like do things at the gym. But if I have to listen to the singing, I don't like it. Yeah. So That's like I said, it. this song would be a fine example of a Christina Aguilera song. But as a Maroon 5 song, it sucks canal water. No, it's another thing, too, is like, think about the rest of the guys in Maroon 5. It's like, well, I all just go f- myself now, I guess. You don't need me. We still get paid, right? Yeah, go make a song with Taylor Swift. I, I got to buy a boat, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to pay cash for it. Go make two songs with Ed Sheeran. That'd be great. I'm going to buy a Lamborghini. I don't even have to go to the studio that day. Nice work if you can get it. There's that. Nice work if you can get it. Exactly. So there's no news today. Here's 15 minutes of Maroon 5. What do you do for a living? Well, I don't play in Maroon 5, that's for sure. (laughs) Exactly. That guy's got the same job as me, except he gets to hold a guitar sometimes. All right. So before we wrap up the show, I do have my answer to my very popular and always well-received and this week incredibly hard and difficult trivia question. 
Trivia question was, in the comic strip Blondie, Blondie is married to Dagwood Bumstead. But she wasn't always married. Uh, She was actually single for the first three years of that strip. What is Blondie's maiden name? Blondie's maiden name. She said she was a flapper. Yes. If I'm going back now, I remember those halcyon days of being a child and burying nothing in Al Capone's vault. Her name was Blondie Van Moot Tarifact. Is that right? <laughs> so close. I have no idea what her name was before she got married, what her maiden name was. She's a cartoon character. Yep. Maybe she didn't have one. Her maiden name was Boop-a-doop. Oh, well, I guess that makes some sense. Yeah. It's a play from the, the song that was popular at the time of I Want to Be Loved by You. Uh, boop doop So, yeah, last name is Boop-a-doop. Oh. Yep. Wow, that's weird. That's going to make me now think that every time Blondie speaks that she sounds like the woman who voiced uh, Betty Boop. Yeah. And that's not who she's... Uh, oh, my gosh. This is going to, like, blow... Now, thanks. This is so many years after I went to uh, Universal Studios theme park where they have that whole segment that confuses everybody who walks into it that's not 125 years old <laughs> with all the old newspaper strips. Where am I? You know? where? What the hell is a Popeye? <laughs> They've got a Mary Worth roller coaster? I don't understand. <laughs> you know? But that's the end of the show for this week. We'll see you back here in seven days. Say goodnight, Jeff. Goodnight, Jeff. Bye, guys. Bye, everybody. A special thanks to James Costa for our theme music. Find us or message us on Facebook or Instagram at Twibly or T-W-W-W-B-L-Y. Subscribe if you haven't already and tell your friends. Twibly is approved by Emperor Norton, protector of Mexico and friend to Canada.